And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show's Weekend Review. On today's episode, we look back at a highly dramatic MLS Cup where the Connecticut Huskies erased a double-digit first-half deficit to earn a tough victory over the UCLA Bruins. 71-61, the MLS Cup ended. Congratulations to the Huskies there. It was a weekend where Cholo and Carlo put on a show at the Bernabeu for the Madrid derby. Eh, that one nearly worked. Where all the Premier League big boys needed penalties to get victories, where Bayern increased their lead predictably, and where the Champions League draw was anything but simplicity. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who, unlike UEFA, has never had an issue handling balls in draws. Taylor Rockwell. <laughs> I never have. I never have. I do always enjoy when we get more things that lead to the conspiracy theories about draws. Uh, the NBA lottery used to be the best one for the NBA draft, but I think the Champions League has overtaken it in terms of absurdity and possible, uh, possible conspiracies, Ryan. Yeah, the, the main issue, uh, UEFA put out a tweet saying, following a technical problem with the software of an external service provider that instructs the officials as to which teams are eligible to, eligible to play each other, a material error occurred in the draw for the UEFA Champions League round of 16. They've tried to blame technology and software mm. where a material error was putting the wrong ball in the wrong pot. As always, they're blaming Skynet. And I think that's fair. <laughs> I think whenever you are like back against the wall, blame the computers, blame the machines. It's their fault, not ours. Uh, humanity will rise. <laughs> jolly good, jolly good, Taylor. And yes, we will be talking about the Champions League draw a little later on, the draw as it was redone, moments before we started recording, listener. Also joining us, a man who had never changed the rules at the end of a Grand Prix to allow a highly controversial ending, it's Grail Rudman. <laughs> Grail Rudman? Hello, hello, Ryan. Yes, it's been a chaotic 24 hours, shall we say, yes. um, between, well, MLS Cup, I guess that was over 24 hours, but MLS and then uh, F1 and then the Champions League draw. I, I can only presume that UEFA saw the farce of the F1 yesterday and said hold my beer or rather <laughs> hold my pint of Gazprom Indeed, there was an incredible uh, farce uh, at the Formula One race in Abu Dhabi. Uh, I won't go into the details too much, Graham, but if I was to give a soccer equivalent of what happened there, which was a safety car coming out right at the end, uh, the leader, Lewis Hampton, losing an advantage and uh, the stewards fudging the rules basically to allow a final racing lap to finish, uh, in which uh, Max Verstappen, his rival, went on fresher tyres and did it. The soccer equivalent, I would say, is your team's 2 new up, the game is stopped, the referee says, next goal wins, and by the way, the losing team can have a penalty right now. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly right. That was the comparison that I was going to make as well. <sighs> goodness me, goodness me, Formula One. Let's not talk about cars anymore, but let's introduce a man who had a lovely time in the rain at Providence Park on Saturday, where he refrained from throwing any beverages on the field, I think, and he refrained from stripping down to his underwear at any point, I think, Joe Lowry. <laughs> yes, Ryan, you're right about both of those things. I had a blast in Portland, and I like how in your intro, you completely just exposed all the folks that either weren't paying attention to MLS Cup or didn't listen to Taylor and I talk about it after the game, because I'm guessing there's at least a few people out there that have no clue what the UConn-UCLA reference was was for. That was relating to the game that went long on ABC before MLS Cup. They had to push back kickoff. It was kind of a whole thing. But in stadium, we got entertained by a giant inflatable MLS Cup that eventually popped. So it wasn't all It wasn't all for nothing, Ryan. <laughs> Did you enjoy Portland, Joe? Did you have a voodoo donut? Did you put a bird on something? <laughs> No, I yes, no, no. Yes, I enjoy Portland. I did not do either of the second things, but I had good food. I love I love like like fruit pies, like apple pie is my is my favorite dessert ever. In Portland and Seattle, the Pacific Northwest and the time I've spent there just has a ton of pie places and it's like heaven for me. So I had multiple pieces of pie on multiple different occasions. It was a good time. Joe, I really appreciate you trying to be culturally inclusive, but though we are talking to two people from uh, the UK, uh, uh, pies are just pies. You don't have to clarify that they're fruit pies because yeah, those are the right. only good kinds of pies. 
Well, I don't I don't agree with that, Taylor, but in the spirit of being an American, I'll sort of side with you for now. You have you I have appreciate. never had a mutton pie at halftime on a cold Saturday <laughs> in Perthshire with a whole load of brown sauce on the top. That's the oh. perfect pie. Oh, brown Not sauce. One thing about that sounded good. I don't know Can't what that sounds it. worse, frankly. <laughs> Can't live without it. <laughs> mm, sheep. Yeah. No, not just sheep, mutton. The worst kind of sheep, Taylor. Um, I, I don't know about that one. I'm not sure they had that one at Portland. But what they did have was um, a, a nice pregame, as I mentioned there. MLS trying lots of different things, as they always do with MLS's back and so on. But really, really turning up the trying new things with putting women's basketball on as the pregame. I was impressed with that. Um, I was listening to the commentary, gents. And I think there was a, a mention on the commentary that... NYCFC fans crowdfunded one of the fans' flight from Portsmouth, England, just to be there. Uh, and I also heard that the average ticket price was $725. Joe, any truth to that? That sounds insanely high. I hadn't heard about that first bit. If if that's true, that's really, really cool, and I'm, I'm glad that happened. And I don't know for sure what the average ticket price was, but on Twitter, the days leading up to the game... I was seeing some screenshots of what the secondary market prices were for some of these tickets, and they were well over $1,000. I, I imagine they came down after a while, but yeah, this was a, a hot ticket in Portland. You, you walk up to the stadium the morning before. I was there two and a half hours before kickoff. No, three hours, actually, before kickoff because it, it kicked off a little bit late. And, I mean, there were lines everywhere, just people lined up that have been camped out for 72 hours waiting to get into this game to try and get the best seats they could in the general admission section. Then I walked into the stadium through the media entrance, and the Timbers Army is is either already there or just about there. The NYCFC fans then trickle in a little bit after that, and they pack their sections. It was It was crazy to watch. I'd never been to an atmosphere that was that loud, that felt that that full, but also intimate at the same time. It was... It was bonkers that how many people were there to see that game. And and Ronnie Dyla put on a show for them as well. Yes, so. he did. Yes, he did, Graham. He lived up to his promise. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I tweeted before kickoff that Dyla had celebrated a title with Stromsa Godset by stripping. I didn't realize he'd told the third rail that he was going to do it if oh, yeah. MLC, uh, oh, yeah. MLC won MLS Cup. And all I can say is poor, innocent Joe having to watch that smut show. <laughs> Morning. I looked up, Grim, I looked up, so I was, I was typing up a piece for The Athletic at the time, and I look up, and the, the buttons are already becoming undone. And I, I realize, okay, I need to stop what I'm doing. I need to record <laughs> this. And so I watched the rest of it, and it ends with nine push-ups in front of those NYCFC fans. Not that he couldn't have done more. I don't know what was significant about the number nine, but that's what happened. Just, just crazy, guys. Just crazy stuff. You have to believe it's a good motivator, but also I feel like it's a good motivator if you are trying to diet. Like, I'm now wondering if maybe we should all pledge to, like, strip if we finish the end of the year with good podcasting skills. And that way, by the end of the year, I will have had the time to build up the fitness to not make people want to throw up in their mouths when I strip. Um, Taylor, we didn't start the year with good podcasting skills. I'm not sure if we're going to finish it that way, but we shall see. Uh, What was good good to see, though, Taylor, is uh, Don Garbo was wearing your hat at the uh, the game. I feel like he did that. I, I wish that were a tongue-in-cheek reference to Rob Lowe, but I, I think I saw Grant Wall tweeting that he said, like, very like very, very Rob Lowe to Don Garber, who did not get the reference. So I'm going to assume it was not intentional. He's just repping the league, baby. Yeah, who wouldn't want to be compared to Rob Lowe? He's a handsome gentleman. One more thing on this game or on US soccer before we move on with the weekend's antics. And by the way, listeners, I, I remind you, uh, do listen to the podcast earlier in the feed, specific to MLS Cup, very detailed dive, did the lads go into for that one. But a story from the Daily Mail, I don't know if you saw this one, Graham. Soccer has overtaken ice hockey to become the fourth most popular sport in the US and the 2026 World Cup in America is going to give the beautiful game another huge boost as it chases down base with third place daily mail love a long headline graham yeah is that the first paragraph or is that the title good gracious <laughs> that's the lot but uh yes yeah, soccer is getting more popular don't we know it and if you saw the you know the 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 crowds at the mls cup and the way this game has taken off this year you know you can believe it couldn't you i, f- I feel like i've read that story before yep <laughs> a number of times in the past maybe are you saying the daily mail hasn't gone into some journalistic n- new frontier here graham um, I mean, how ready are the TSS fire truck of lawyers ready to uh, <laughs> spring into action here? Here it comes, yeah, here good. it comes. They're coming. So being sent directly from the sidebar of shame. Um, yeah, watch out baseball, I suppose, is the uh, the moral of that story. Anywho, why don't we move on to some of the uh, weekends... Sorry, go why on, did Taylor. we put them? In, why did we put them in a fire truck? Like, we could have gotten a van. We could have gotten so many more... 
like easy to navigate vehicles. They're often slow to get to the scene of, of an incident because of the, the fire truck. It, it takes a while to navigate. They don't know how to drive it. It's a whole thing. We really should have just gone for something yeah, simpler. But it's funny. Yeah, but you can, yeah, and you can hang off the back of a fire truck, which That's is true. much cooler than sitting in a van. That's true. We could have gone garbage truck, and then we would have had the built-in compactor for getting rid of evidence if we needed to. I mean, Taylor, would you rather ride in a super awesome fire truck or some white van? Come on. <laughs> Come on. Think like a lawyer, Taylor. <laughs> My mistake. My mistake. <laughs> fire truck, of course. I apologize. <laughs> Let us proceed. You'll be hearing from our fire truck of lawyers, Taylor. All right. La Liga, why don't we start there? Barcelona had a weakened squad and they led a late equalizer in to draw 2 2 at Osasuna. Uh, Xavi says his team is stuck in a negative spiral, which sounds like a Nine Inch Nails album, uh, more than a <laughs> Barca uh, state of mind currently. Joe, by the way, Nine Inch Nails were a band in the 90s and uh, the 90s was a decade, a few decades before the one you were born in, just to keep you up to speed uh barcelona in eighth uh 18 points off the pace graham five points off the champions league spots i've got a question for you graham barcelona do they have a better chance of getting into the champions league through the europa league or la liga for next season well not now that they've got napoli in the europa league the the maradona derby is pretty much the worst draw i think they could have had in that competition and yeah it's not looking very good for barcelona at the moment this was another painful result for them with Chimi avila scoring a, a pretty late equalizer three games without a win as you say 18 points off the top of la liga real madrid setting the pace and um i think one concerning thing for xavi is and he mentioned this after the match is it is that the the kids are the ones that are keeping barcelona afloat so the likes of abde nico who both scored uh, in this game gavi ronald arajo and um, pedri answer both injured but you couldn't really say they haven't held up their end of the bargain they're not getting enough from the experienced players and i think if barcelona could get rid of those experienced players in january xavi would completely clear the decks and just go with the young players but finding buyers for those players has been difficult mm. never win anything with kids though graham that's what we've been told well we were told that once in the past before and it turned out to be <laughs> nonsense yeah it worked for frank lampard anyway yeah is that the moral i'm going to paint here no it's not Sevilla they uh, they kept up with Real Madrid in second place with a 1-0 win over Athletic Club but the game we're going to go into a little more detail on of course is El Derby the 279th edition the leaders of La Liga against the current champions it finished Real Madrid 2 Atletico, Atletico Madrid 0 uh, Real Madrid now 8 points clear of Seville Seville do have a game in hand though um, Ancelotti Carlo Ancelotti he's got his chance to get um, a title here he's not got one in Spain he didn't get one in his first run with Real Madrid if he does so he'll have the title in all top five European leagues that's a very very impressive thing to do um wow. Taylor I wouldn't call this a classic game necessarily but uh you've, you've put in our in our running order this is one of the best performances you've seen from Real Madrid in a while I'm inclined to agree but it also I don't feel like they got into top gear no, I don't think they did, but I kind of don't think they had to because I don't think Atleti were particularly good on the day. And I think a lot of that had to do with what M Madrid were doing defensively, but then also just how calm they were on the ball. Starting with the defensive side, I thought in their usual kind of 4-3-3 shape, Madrid sometimes going into a 4-5-1, sometimes even like a 6-3-1, uh, but they always had that midfield three tight and able to kind of make the plays, make the interceptions, block off uh, like passing lanes. That is where the first goal comes from, is essentially they have those three together. Ball pass is intercepted. I think it's like 12 seconds later from the time that Modric gets a foot to the ball. Uh, Benzema has it in the back of the net. But the way Madrid just stayed calm throughout Atleti pressing them, and they pressed pretty much the entire game, especially when Madrid tried to play out, and so many times it felt like, okay, now they're going to kick it long. And instead it would be another little pass and another little pass. And then almost every time it culminated in that big switch across the pitch. Now Atleti have to sprint over to try to deal with that. And they would, and they would start that press again. And Madrid would play right out of it again and switch it back. And it just seemed like they made Atleti do so much running that they couldn't fluster Madrid. They did, or Real, they would get occasional opportunities. There were occasional turnovers in the first like 15 to 20 minutes. But for the most part, I thought Real just played the game they wanted to play from start to finish. And it was a pretty emphatic victory, even if only 2-0. It felt like Atleti were really going to struggle to get into it uh, from start to finish for me. The goals came from Karim Benzema. A lovely volley it was for the opener. And Marcus Asensio got the second one. Both assists from Vinicius Junior, who is having a sensational season. Joe, uh, Vinicius and Karim Benzema, name a better duo, I dare you. I'm not sure there's a better duo in better form right now. 
right? These... Mutton and brown sauce. No, <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> oh, Graham, someday you're going to have to actually explain to me what brown sauce is, but today is not that day. I'm very <laughs> confident of that. <laughs> but, but, I mean, Vinicius Jr. and Benzema are... They're on fire right now. You watch them in this game, and we've watched Real Madrid a few times this season. Graham's watched them a bunch, I'm sure. They're on. They are on fire right now. Vinicius Jr. is starting wide left, getting the ball on his right, driving at players. He he wanted to go at Marcus Llorente in this game from the very start. He drifts over into the pockets in the in the left half space. He goes over, makes these diagonal runs from out to in. He made a bunch of those on the day, and one of them in that first goal that Taylor already described. Taylor, you talked about the Modric interception. Then it's Casemiro driving forward, hits Benzema. Benzema wide to Asensio, and then Asensio to Vinicius Jr., who's made this driving run from, from a central spot all the way out to the right wing. These These attackers in the front line... They're so fluid. And that starts with Benzema as a nine, being comfortable rotating into different spaces. He'll go out wide left. He'll go out wide right. He'll drop deep. He's, in a lot of ways, the focal point of this team's attack, certainly when they hit on the break. So you've got Benzema who can do that. Asensio who's comfortable rotating into different spots. But Vinicius Jr. is is the flashiest of the three right now and maybe even the most effective of the three. He can be in all of these different spaces. And when he gets on the ball... He's magic right now. He's almost unplayable. And there's a lot more that goes into soccer than just what the you know two or three minutes a game you're on the ball. You have to deal with those other 80, 88, 87 minutes of play, too, and, and be effective off the ball. And I think Vinicius Jr. was that, too, on, on Sunday. So, yeah, I came away hugely impressed with him, hugely impressed with Benzema. And while I still have some concerns about the balance of this Madrid team and, and some of the underlying numbers that we're seeing with them right now, there's no arguing that this was an impressive performance. Well, let's let's talk about that balance then, Joe, because from this game, you know, pretty good uh, up top. Uh, the midfield with Casemiro, with Modric, with Kroos, looking pretty solid, I'd say, particularly Modric having a great game here. And in the back with uh, Dav- David Alaba and uh, Ede Militao as uh, centre-backs, who'd have thunk that they would be pretty uh, solid as well? So that seems reasonably balanced. So could you go into your, your concerns about it? Sure. Yeah, no, and Ryan, those are, those are all really good points. My concerns start a little bit with the fullbacks after Real Madrid pushed numbers forward. One thing they were doing in this game that we also saw Chelsea do against Leeds, and we'll talk a bit about that later on, was the fullbacks tucking inside and making runs into the half space to leave the wingers isolated out wide. That's something that Carlo Ancelotti has has worked into this team, and it makes Real Madrid really fun. It also leaves them vulnerable to a counterattack, and Atleti have tons of talent, right? They have tons of attacking talent still, but I don't know that they're the team to really expose Real Madrid in situations like that. Maybe they are, but it didn't happen in this game, certainly. But I have some concerns about those fullbacks and their positioning and the space they leave behind, most importantly. David Alaba likes to step forward as well, and so there's there's some challenges there. And then you mentioned the midfield, Ryan. Of course, three brilliant players, and they have been brilliant for a long time. I don't know that I back Casemiro and Luka Modric and Toni Kroos to cover the ground and to do as much of the defensive dirty work to deal with a high-powered attacking team that they might come up against in the Champions League. So I, I do think Real Madrid will win La Liga. We talked about Champions League you know, last week, and, and we'll talk a bit more about it later on. I think there's concerns in my mind when it comes to them being a top-five team in Europe. But man, still, I, I don't want to take away from how good and fun this performance was because it really was both of those things. Uh, Graham, your thoughts on Real Madrid here. On the uh, ESPN coverage in studio, they were inferring that this is a relatively weak Liga season, but Real Madrid are probably going to take the title, as Joe said there. Um, what do you think? Are they are they rising above the tide here? Yeah, I, I think it's fair to mention the relative weakness of La Liga this season. I'm not sure who's going to really challenge Real Madrid. Atleti don't look like they're up to it. Barcelona, oh boy. Uh, Sevilla... Again, I'm just never convinced. Sevilla always do well for periods of the season, and then when it comes to the crunch time, they always falter. So, yes, it's it's, it's a little bit difficult to gauge how good Real Madrid are at the moment. However, this is a team that did finish top of their Champions League group. I know they had that shock result at home to Sheriff, but they recovered well after that. So, I do think they probably are better this season than we all expected them to be. I think a lot of us were classing them in in, in the same category as Barcelona before the start of the season, and that's just that's just not the case. And I think Ancelotti one of the best things about the start of the season that Real Madrid have made under Ancelotti is the number of players he's getting more out of players that were already at the club so Marco Asensio's a good a good example he he's played really well this season when he looked pretty much finished at Real Madrid last season um, Eder Militao looks like the the Ramos replacement I honestly never believed he could be and as you say Ryan his partnership with Alaba looks looks pretty strong and there's a good balance there and that Militao's the physical presence and Alaba's the the one who gets the ball on the ground so I think 
defenders, and then Luka Jovic as well, who he's been a big surprise recently, and losing Benzema, who comes off at half-time in this game, is obviously a big blow. He came off the, the week before after 18 minutes against Real Sociedad as well, so he's clearly playing with an injury at the moment, and that is a problem because he's arguably the best striker in the game right now. But I think Luka Jovic, who, let's not forget, has contributed almost nothing over three seasons at Real Madrid, he's done a pretty good job of coming into the team and basically being a, a Benzema imitation and playing in a relatively similar way to Benzema, and so that keeps Vinicius happy, that keeps Asensio happy, Modric behind them, you know, they're not having to change the way they're playing. And so I think Ancelotti is doing a good job, as I say, of, of getting more out of the squad that he inherited. There's maybe more talent there than we realised at the start of the season. Taylor, we do have to give a bit more props to Mr Luka Modric, don't we? At 36 years old, basically conducting this game. Yeah, and occasionally functioning as like a right center back, which is not a thing I'm ever used to, even though it's a thing he routinely does for this Real Madrid team. But when they are trying to build out, it's him sort of dropping between Militao and Carvajal. Or, uh, yeah, Carvajal. And I, I think doing that pulls Atleti forward. Uh, if they don't go, then he's got time to turn and play a ball 40 yards. But if they do track him, it opens up space behind for uh, maybe a long ball to be pinged into. And that's exactly where the second goal comes from. So I think even if he's not on the ball, he's still having an impact because he is that sort of uh, like a potential threat for opponents. And I think overall that midfield three is also just so instrumental to what Real Madrid want to do and how they want to play. And to have those three who've played together for so long and Casemiro, Cruz and Modric and just seem to know how to play on and off the ball and function really well. And Casemiro can sometimes drop deeper or sometimes be in, in a more advanced position with the two behind. But I think the relationship they have and the familiarity they have with each other really sets them apart this season. Joe, let's talk about Atletico Madrid. I, to be honest, I'm a bit confused about what they are these days, what their identity is. They're, I think they're in a 4-4-2 for this one, but it's not as if they were, you know, we know them, we characterise them for being pretty solid defending. Uh, we characterise them for being, you know, pretty quick on the attack and being an attacking force. Not really seeing either of those things from them at the moment. What's What's going on there? I did see a good bit of solid defending. It's It's easy to overlook all of the other actions that happen because of those two Real Madrid goals. And yes, goals change games, but it's not as if Atleti gave up a ton of chances in this one, right? I mean, Real Madrid had seven or eight shots total, not a ton of really high quality chances. That The first goal from Benzema is a ridiculously skillful strike that just doesn't happen every single time, right? Even Benzema doesn't score that every time. So you, we can maybe have our view of Atleti skewed a little bit in a game like this. But as far as their identity, Ryan, I still do think this is a team that's based around defending. And it's hard in a game like this when you go behind and then have to claw your way back. And they did a bit of that in the second half. Joao Felix had a couple nice moments after coming out at halftime. But this is a team that's still built to defend and built to absorb pressure. Real Madrid were in this 4-4-2 defensively, as you mentioned, Ryan, that then would rotate as Real Madrid moved around. And there were a lot of these really high-level defensive rotations from Diego Simeone's team. They, they rotated into a back five at times with Yannick Carrasco dropping in to be as a left wing back and Mario Hermoso tucking inside to play as a left-sided center back in a back three. And so they were doing all of these different things. In, an, in a different game and in a reality where Benzema doesn't score that opening goal, I think we're probably talking about them a bit more in this game. But yeah, there's there's still clearly some work to be done uh, by Simeone and, and by these Atleti players. So, Joe, just to dig into that, the idea of their defending, I mean, I, I, I suppose my point would be Atleti of, say, four years ago wouldn't have given Benzema that much space in the box for that first goal, wouldn't have, you know, just completely left him alone and, and, not, and not tracked him at all. Is that fair to say? Uh, I don't know, right? I mean, I don't know how we could ever say that conclusively. And this is not me trying to be wishy-washy, right? These are moments that happen in games and we just forget them because the goal isn't scored, right? I, I mean, I'm sure we could go back through and I don't really want to do this, but I'm sure there's folks out there who could go back and watch Atleti of 2017 and clip you know, 30 moments just like this throughout the regular season that either weren't scored or that were and we just forgot because they were generally defensively dominant. So I don't know. I don't have the, the numbers in front of me, but I would wager that... Maybe Atleti's numbers defensively are, are, are worse this season, but I'm guessing they're not dramatically worse than they've been in the past. What what watching that that goal as as it was scored though, and I understand what you're saying, Joy, is it's almost impossible to know whether Atleti of the past would have done better with that goal. But all I know is watching that goal and when Koki gives the ball away and Vinicius runs up the right wing, I'm thinking that thinking to myself, 
cover Benzema, cover Benzema, right. cover Benzema, because that ball is only going one place oh, sure. in the box and it's going to carry Benzema. And the four Atleti defenders all kind of maintain their line, which in a structural sense is probably the right thing to do, but nobody has that... Um, you know, nobody takes on the responsibility. No, nobody has the initiative to think. Oh, maybe I'm going to actually need to step out, step out of this line to cover the cross into Benzema, and then before anyone does that, he finishes into the back of the net. So, I think a lot of Atleti's problems are down to individual mistakes. As I say, from that first goal comes from Koke giving the ball away, and then also there nobody in their defence recognising the danger they have playing Vinicius and Benzema. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying those sequences were without fault, right? I mean, I'm just saying that those things happen all the time, and we just don't really think about them or talk about them. I I, I kind of go with Team Joe on this one for two reasons. Because uh, the first would be that uh, I think it's just a really smart run from Benzema. Like I think we can blame the defenders for not getting to him, but also they don't get to him because he is running at full speed. As he gets to the 18, he is aware that they're dropping off, expecting him to make that sort of crashing run. And so then he holds up and starts calling for the ball from deeper. And I think that is that sort of awareness, that positional awareness, but also that ability to read the defense on the fly that makes him such a special player. But I also think Atleti, a few years ago, probably don't have that turnover, but they don't have that turnover from Koke because I think they're playing less risky attacking football. I think they stay deeper. They stay more compact. They're more content to invite Madrid onto them and frustrate and frustrate and then look to counter. Once Madrid are sort of overextended and frustrated and tired and haven't found a way through, then Atleti would make something happen. And I think we've heard uh, much made about Simeone trying to be more attacking and trying to kind of make them a more possession-oriented team. I don't think that's what they were on the day, but I think they are trying to play more attacking, a little bit riskier soccer. And there are sequences in this one where they have a like 10 pass sequence that is 10 one touch passes that moves the ball from one side of the pitch to the other and then down the line. And I think they're doing things that are more impressive than they used to be able to do, but that does leave them more open. And then it's about how you transition back in the defense and track a world-class goal scorer in Kareem Benzema. I think that's a bit of a challenge and maybe one that they're still navigating. But I think if we are reporting their demise, I think Man United uh, might not want to listen to that one because I fully expect that Letty to have their way with Man United. The, so, Simeone could have set this team up better though, right? I'm not the only one who who thinks that. Like the, the, the 4-4-2 here, I'm, I'm not sure what that was designed to do. And I think one thing we should mention when we're talking about the Atleti defence is they, they were depleted def- and defensively. You know, Jimenez is out, Kieran Trippier is out, Renan Lodi comes on for the second half, but maybe he should have started at left back as well. So there's potentially three of their starting back four that are, are out at the moment. They played Jeffrey Kondogbe on centre back. Obviously, he's a, a central midfielder. But even, even with those players missing, I still feel like he could have set this team up better. I mean, I, I personally, would have gone for a back three of Felipe, Condogbia and Hermoso with Lorente as a right wing back and Carrasco as a left wing back. And then I think it was Joe or maybe it was Taylor saying that Real Madrid's fullbacks get up high. So that would have given them an opportunity to get in behind those those fullbacks. I, I then would have put three players in the centre of the pitch to match up to Real Madrid's. I would have had Coque, Depal and uh, Herrera which would have stopped them being overrun by the Real Madrid trio. And I just felt DePaul and Koke never really, even when they had the ball, it felt like they didn't have options because they were just being covered by those Real Madrid three. And then you would have a front two of Felix and, and Griezmann with Suarez off the bench for one of those two in the second half. That would have been the way I went. And it, and it just, that four four two system, didn't, it didn't say to me that Atleti were going to try and control the game or attack. It, and it equally didn't say that they were going to try and absorb and, and be defensive. It was a kind of, it was stuck in between the two. Real Madrid, they're on a run of 10 consecutive wins now. And as I say, they are uh, floating high on the top of the Liga's table. Looks like they, uh, this is theirs to lose this season. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Premier League action. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think... I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Uh, Premier League action now. Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United and Man City all got wins this weekend from penalties. Mm, Interesting. Man City stayed top of the league with a 1-0 win over Wolves. Raheem Sterling with that penalty there making the distance. City have won six in a row now and they're hosting Leeds on Tuesday night. Big one at Anfield. Liverpool with a 1-0 win over Aston Villa. A Mosalar penalty in that one. Steven Gerrard getting a standing ovation as he came on to the pitch the future Liverpool manager there Graham must have appreciated that <laughs> well I maybe wouldn't count on that too much I think I've said previously in the pod that I'm I'm not too convinced that Gerard is the best fit for this, this Liverpool team it might be that he is a, a good manager I think there's a good chance of that I think Steven Gerrard has something about him but I, I think he has a very different style of football to Jurgen Klopp and this match was was proof of that it pretty much went exactly how I thought it would go, to be perfectly honest. In the end, Liverpool just had too much attacking quality for Villa, although Gerrard will be frustrated at Mings making that that clumsy tackle that led to the penalty. Villa, I don't think they're a fantastic watch under Gerrard, but he's very quickly put a structure in there. And I'm not sure if it's Gerrard or maybe it's Michael Beale, who is his kind of right-hand man and was largely credited with a lot of the tactical stuff at Rangers, who's followed him to Aston Villa. But they're always very good defensively, and I think he's carried that over to Villa from Rangers. I I have doubts whether he is a good Liverpool manager, though. Oh, interesting. Uh, Graham, you've got a nomination for the most underrated player in the Premier League, I understand. I do. I'm going to go for Joel Matip, who I think deserves credit for the performances he's put, putting in this season. Liverpool have kept 10 clean sheets in uh, 16 Premier League games this season and obviously a lot of the focus for that record has fallen on Virgil van Dijk given that he's back from injury and yes he has had a massive uh, impact he's made a difference as a player of his quality would but I think Matip is, is very important to the way that Liverpool play he completed 56 of 6-1 passes in, against Villa he won um, 6 of his aerial duels 3 clearances 2 tackles 2 interceptions he had a header hit the bar and I just think the way he, he brings the ball out of the defence the way he dribbles past opponents is very very important for Liverpool in how they play against um, low defensive blocks which is what they faced against Villa and I think Matip was one of the players that allowed them to get that result Liverpool one point behind City in second place. They're on a run of seven wins in all competitions. They're going to be uh, on a run of eight wins after hosting uh, Newcastle on Tuesday as well. Man United managed to overcome the mighty Norwich with a 1-0 win with a Cristiano Ronaldo penalty. That keeps them in fifth. Norwich stay rock bottom with just 10 points. Uh, Ralph Randick slamming Manchester United's body language, intensity and aggressiveness. And there's now um, reports of a COVID outbreak in the squad 
Uh, as we recalled, I think the game, uh, I think, is it against Burnley? I think it might be in, um, in jeopardy. Brentford. Brentford, excuse me, for midweek. Thank you, Graham. Um, Joe, Chris Armas on the bench, though. How about that? I mean, good for Chris Armas, first of all. What, a, what an awesome move for him to be able to take advantage of this opportunity. Still bizarre to see him next to Ralph Rangnick. I, I saw multiple pictures and clips of him on the bench, and I you almost have to do a double take. He's in this Man United tracksuit, and it just feels so strange. Uh, I think he will, in a lot of ways, provide a really valuable service to that Man United team, and I know there's been some eyebrows raised, mine included, about that move happening in the first place. But yeah, I, I still am trying to come to grips with the reality that we're living in, and I think it might take me a while. Arsenal with a 3-0 win over Southampton. Lacazette, Odegaard and Gabriel getting the goals there. No Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang there. He was out with a disciplinary breach. There were rumours flying around that he flew to Barcelona to get a tattoo, uh, being the reason why he was uh, late for that game. Yeah, because apparently there's no tattoo parlours in London. Who knew? Uh, That was Arsenal's first win in three. They host West Ham on Wednesday. Crystal Palace, meanwhile, getting a 3-1 win over Everton. Um, Taylor, to quote Muse, is... Time running out for Rafa Benitez. Uh, it sure feels that way, Ryan. A 3-1 loss for Everton. Uh, they beat Arsenal 2-1 last week. Prior to that game, can any of you guess when their last victory was in the Premier League? Uh, and I'll even give you this. What month was it when they got their last win? Oh, boy. October? Uh... October? Keep going back. September oh, 25th. Yikes. 2-0 versus Norwich. Since then, they have 10 games. They've won that one against Arsenal. Two draws, seven losses, eight goals over that uh, massive stretch of of time. It does not seem to be going well for Rafa Benitez or for Everton on the whole. Uh, Lots of injuries. Uh, Richarlison hasn't played as many games. Calvert-Lewin only has three on this season. Uh, The man who shall not be named is not there to contribute goals and assists. James Rodriguez is gone. And the thing that I was kind of blown away by when I was reading more about Everton, I spent some time with them last night. Uh, I think since... The summer of 2016, they have spent uh, $642 million. That's a net spend of negative $300 million. And in that same time, they've finished, uh, let's let's go to it, uh, 7th, 8th, 8th, 12th, 10th, and then 14th right now. So they're getting worse. Uh, the more they spend, the more they seem to be uh, imploding. Uh, managerial changes, a lot of sort of questionable personnel acquisitions and the amount paid for them. Things do not seem to be going well for Everton, and I don't think that's entirely down to Rafa Benitez. I think there's other people making other decisions that don't make as much sense. But he certainly is not covering himself in glory and getting the results that are necessary. It does not seem like it's going well. And if you ask Everton fans, they would agree since they were singing some songs about Rafa this past weekend. The the, the money spent is is utterly unbelievable. And I know, yeah. I know it does get mentioned quite a bit, but it feels like that, that should be a bigger thing. The yeah. fact that uh, Everton have spent over half a billion pounds on players and you look through that team... Of that team that they've got, with everyone fit, I'm not even counting the players that are out injured, of everyone fit, who's good enough to play for a top six team? You would maybe say Richarlison, maybe uh, Ab- uh, Decore, Abdullah Decore. Beyond that, I'm, uh, Luca Dina maybe. Beyond that, those two or three players, I'm I'm struggling. And that is that is a terrible indictment of their recruitment strategy over the last few years. And then I think to extend the Benitez criticism further, like uh, Digne even is one who under Ancelotti was taking set pieces, both corners and uh, direct free kicks, was putting in crosses, was more heavily involved in the attack and has been completely backed off all of those things, much to his chagrin this season. So even there, you're seeing sort of Rafa Benitez not doing himself any favors. Uh, well, it could be worse, Everton. You could be Newcastle. They were crushed by Leicester 4-0 with the winner there at the King Power. A win which flew in the face of any writers out there who predicted Newcastle would get a result in this game. That was me. I I, I did that. Uh, James Madison uh, did a hilarious dive for a penalty as well that VAR didn't seem too bothered about. Uh, let's spend a couple of minutes, though, gents, on Chelsea 3 leads 2. This one's rarely a dull fixture. These two got history going back to the 70s when they were big um, rivals and a nice, uh, I think we had a nice post-match brawl in this one as well. Three penalties here. Rafinha getting a nice opener here. Mason Mount um, getting uh, the, the goal back. Two Jorginho penalties either side of Joe Gerlhardt's goal as well. Um, Graham, I'll come to you. Chelsea got the three points here, but still looking a little bit suspect in many areas. 
Yeah, I I didn't think this was a ter- terribly uh, convincing performance from Chelsea. Yes, they they, they get the win. Um, as you say, a, a Jorginho penalty late on gives them the three points, but I, I still saw a lot of the defensive troubles that they've had in recent games. They've they conceded. If you're you're counting it as the West Ham game, the Zenit game, the Champions League, and then this game against Leeds as being in one week, they conceded eight goals in one week, um, which is as many goals as they'd conceded in their previous eighteen games before then. And for a team that have made their they've been so good under Tuchel because they're so difficult to play against, they're so difficult to score against. I think that is a a bit of a, a of a, of a concern. And um, they, they've conceded four penalties in the league th- this season, um, which is 36% of the goals that they've conceded this season as well. So that suggests that individual errors in the box are, are, are costing them as well. And Jorginho's a funny one. I'm going to focus on Jorginho because who scored gave him their Man of the Match perf- uh, award. Um, I saw some stats saying that his midfield partner, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, had played well as as well. And having watched this game back, and I watched the full 90 minutes of this match, I just I just wasn't terribly convinced by either of them. And I think one of the things Tuchel's Chelsea do so well when they're at their best is they contain runners, and they stop opposition players from rushing their defence. However, Chelsea are not doing that at the moment. And I think the, the problems that they've had against West Ham, Zenit, and this game against Leeds have, have come from their central midfield unit. Rafinha, Roberts, and Dan James... They all had a lot of joy in this game, breaking through the Chelsea structure. And of course, this is the way Leeds play. You know, that that front three was designed to do that. But I I think we're seeing how much N'Golo Kante and also uh, Mateo Kovacic, how important they are to this Chelsea team. Because you take them out of this side and and I just feel like there's no protection for for the back line. Rudiger, Thiago Silva, as Piliqueta in this game, they're they're doing their best. You know, they're individually they're playing okay. I'm not sure you could say the same for Marcus uh, Alonso on, on at left wing back, which I think is a major downgrade on Ben Chilwell, who could be out for the rest of the season. But I, I just wonder at the moment, you know, it's a, it's a it's a a, a three uh, four three, but I just wonder maybe shifting back into three five two and putting an extra body in in midfield. I know Mount is the the link between the midfield and the attack, and he's the he's the creative force. And Chelsea have had creative troubles as well this season, so maybe dropping him back further towards the defence and in, in the central midfield would have a, a knock on effect on their creativity. But I, I just wonder if maybe getting another body in that central midfield might um, solve some of their short term problems with uh, Kante and Kovacic out. Yeah, it does seem like they've got some problems there in the midfield. Maybe that is a difference maker for them at the moment, Graham. Joe, what did you make of this one? Um, pretty pretty entertaining game, if not without its faults. Oh, yeah, and that made it even more entertaining, right? I, I'm with Graham on a lot of the things that he just mentioned. I didn't think this was a horrible performance from Chelsea, but certainly not as good as they can be. But when you piece this this Chelsea team and how they want to play using the ball, that's that's all really they care about is having the ball and using it. You pair that with Leeds and the chaos that they bring to every single game, and you get exactly what we saw on Saturday. I mean, you add that along with the multiple penalties that Rudiger scored, uh, that, that, that he drew, excuse me. Rudiger drawing two penalties in this game and Jorginho converting both of them. And then Leeds have a penalty as well. So three of the five goals in this game coming from penalties. And the fact that two of them were drawn by a center back is just delightful for me. This game was wild. And, and we mentioned some of the injuries, both teams playing without key players. We mentioned some for Chelsea already. Leeds without Robin Koch, without Calvin Phillips, Rodrigo, Patrick Bamford, others currently injured. And there have been a bunch of other players that have been injured this season. They're far lower down in the table this year than they, than they were really for most of last season, trying to deal with a lot of those injuries, trying, trying to deal with teams having more tape on them and, and teams having been through the reps of already playing against Leeds multiple times last year. It's a challenging place for Bielsa and, and for Leeds to be. So all of those factors really combined for me to make this a hugely entertaining game. And one, one thing for Leeds before I, I stop talking, because I feel like I've been talking for a while, is defensively, I thought they did a lot of really good stuff in this game. They get overrun at times and they they, they do get disorganized. But with that man-to-man pressure, you could so clearly see their thesis, their defensive thesis, which basically is to not let an attacker turn to face the goal. I mean, that's that's the point of man marking in a lot of senses. It's to really frustrate the opposing team, but to force back passes, to force players to just hit the ball to a simple, to hit a simple pass, right? To not turn, receive on the half turn and drive forward. Yes, they do leave space for the opposing team's center backs to drive forward, but really when it comes to midfield, in the attacking line, they're touched tight on those players to not let them turn. And that really did frustrate Chelsea at times. Chelsea found their way through on, on plenty of occasions too, but that's just the nature of how Leeds do things. 
all of the things that I just mentioned kind of added together to make this uh, a really fun game. Taylor, we've mentioned his name a couple of times. Antonio Rudiger had a mm-hmm. really good game here um, and also, you know, con- contributed very well to the brawl at the end. Um, I believe his contract is up for grabs at the moment. Based on this kind of performance, they should just give him all of the money. I think that's the speculation, right? Is that he wants like 400000 a week or something yeah, like he that? A he double, wants a- yeah. A pretty high amount, and maybe they will give him that. Uh, and I think you're right. Like he he gets involved, he draws two penalties. Uh, he we've seen him be involved in the attack numerous times this season. I think much as this game was confusing, or same as this game was confusing for being like good and bad for both teams, that's sort of where I am am with Rudiger in his performance in this one. Because yes, he draws the penalties. I've seen much frustration about how easily he goes down. I think that's a bit harsh. The first one nailed on penalty. He gets his plant foot taken out. The second one he gets. Gets kicked. I don't really have any issues with that. But to Graham's point, without Conte, without Kovacic, uh, for the second goal for Leeds, for Gellhart's goal, Rudiger is just running. He's just following the ball. It's like what we criticized Bruno Fernandes for a couple months ago, of just sort of running around, trying to get to somebody, but not tracking, not marking where he needs to. And Leeds are able to exploit that because when they attack, they can attack pretty ruthlessly. But then I saw him do... Other At other times, sitting deeper and doing the job he needed to, but then also carrying the ball forward and alleviating pressure. And I felt like it was this good and simultaneously confusing performance from Rudiger, but I guess it was for Chelsea and to some extent Leeds as well. So overall, I think a, a positive, maybe not deserving of 400,000 pounds a week, but maybe maybe deserving of a bit of a boost. Graham, where are you on Rudiger? Because I feel like you, you watch him as much, if not more, and maybe can help me make sense of a confusing player. Because I think he is very good, and maybe maybe it's like that I find him to be an irritating player at times, just because I think he's like a Diego Costa level of irritating at times, the way he seems to kind of play games and get in people's faces and get in their heads and live rent-free and all that. So I wonder how you feel about Antonio Rudiger. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Rudiger, and I think I've got a general thesis on, on central defenders, and that thesis is that Virgil van Dijk ruined it for everyone. Interesting. <laughs> Where basically we now expect central defenders to be everything, all at once. And that wasn't really how we viewed central defenders. You know, no one really expects that of a central midfielder or even a central center forward. I know there's a few center forwards that can do everything all at once, but for some reason we now expect central defenders to be good in the ball, to be physically, you know, imposing, to be good in the air, to be a good communicator. And, and that's because Virgil van Dijk is all of those things and he is probably the best uh, central defender of his generation. But Rudiger is pretty close to to being good at everything. It's just that I think now the the standard for central centre backs is so high. I think Harry Maguire is one that falls down um, through through the use of that criteria because he can't do everything all at once. So I think Rudiger is as close to a, to a kind of Van Dijk as maybe there is in the Premier League at the moment. Well, an entertaining game this one, Chelsea, the 3-2 victors. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to go around the rest of the big leagues and talk a little bit about that Champions League draw back soon. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between, but no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's take a look around the rest of Europe, starting in League R. PSG are 13 points clear after a 2-0 win over Monaco. This one used to be called El Cachaco. Not sure if it is anymore. It's killing a Buffy brace making the difference in this one. Monaco are in eighth. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's all, just about all I've got to say about that game. Let's go to the Bundesliga. Bayern Munich are six points clear after a 2-1 win over Mainz. Bayern dominated this one but conceded first. Uh, Mainz, uh, apparently, it says here, having their best season in 11 years, but they're in eighth spot. Um, so an up- upset was possible here. It didn't quite come off, though. Um, perhaps an upset in Bochum, who got a 1-1 draw with Borussia Dortmund, and that's uh, helping Bayern uh, pull away at the top of the table um, and giving Bayern that nice lead going into the Christmas break, potentially. Uh, meanwhile, post-Jesse Marsh, RB Leipzig have got two wins in two. This is their first game under new manager, uh, Domenico Tedesco. Um, 4-1 over Borussia Mönchengladbach. Joe, did you catch this one? I did. I saw at least parts of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. First of all, I thought the, the appointment of Tedesco was a fascinating one. After he, he had one really good season with Schalke a few years ago, finishing second in the Bundesliga, and then... One where they lost 7-0 to Manchester City in the Champions League and were sort of in a relegation scrap. And that went very, very poorly for Tedesco, who was fired in the midst of that season. He then went over to Russia, coached some there, then was on a bit of a break and now has been brought in to coach this Leipzig team. I don't associate really high-level possession soccer with Domenico Tedesco, which is apparently what these Leipzig players want. So that was a bit curious to me, but Early signs are good, right? A 4-1 win is a good start to this whole process. And the way that Leipzig approached this game, I thought was pretty encouraging getting towards the end of having, getting towards the goal, I should say, of having really high-level possession stuff. They had a lot of fun rotations in possession, a lot of good things going on with the ball. Kevin Campbell rotating out wide to the left, Angelino pushing forward. Some fun stuff happening, just like there's fun stuff happening with a lot of the best teams around Europe. I thought this was a good first step for Tedesco and for RB Leipzig. Joe, what what day was what day was this game played on for Tedesco? Uh, Saturday? It's all running together See- now. I believe this was Saturday. Yeah, see, that's the problem, because as we all know, uh, Sunday German is meant to play on Sundays. I'll let that one sit in. I'll let that one sink in. It's very amusing. Anyway, uh, elsewhere in Germany, (laughs) Hoffenheim got a 2-1 win. Hoffenheim a 2-1 win at Freiburg, the winner there scored by... It's what it translates to. I hate you guys. Yeah, I get it. It was very funny. I'm laughing on the inside, Taylor. Uh, Serie A. Let's go there. Inter Milan leapfrogged uh, AC Milan to top spot with a resounding 4-0 win over Cagliari. Uh, Milan slipping due to a 1-1 draw at Udinese. The goal for the Milan in stoppage time. Who else? 40-year-old Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Uh, getting his 300th goal in Europe's top five leagues. Meanwhile, Juventus, still a bit rubbish, a 1-1 draw at the Italian fashion brand Venezia. Uh, we should also, by the way, gents, uh, give congratulations to Atlas in Liga Remekis. Uh, they defeated Lyon on penalties, 4-3, that's 3-3 in aggregate, to become Liga Remekis champions for the first time since the 1950s. How long ago is that? 70 years. Congratulations, Atlas. Congratulations to you. Uh, Gents, why don't we finish off today's show with a little chat about the Champions League draw. Uh, We mentioned there was a technical problem. Uh, The technical problem being they put the wrong... Actually, Graham, do you want to very briefly explain what they did with the balls in the pots there? (laughs) Oh, I'm not sure if I can. (laughs) I mean, my my understanding of it is that 
the pot that Manchester United were put into meant that they they could only draw five teams rather than eight teams, and so there was a number of sides that they couldn't be drawn against, one of them being the team that they ultimately ended up with, which is Atletico Madrid. How, the, the, In terms of how they actually did that, I'm not entirely sure, but yeah, I think that's the gist of it, is that United, the, the teams that they could draw be drawn against were limited, they, they, they were fewer in number than they should have been. So the draw in take two reads like this. Salzburg against Bayern Munich, Sporting against Man City, Benfica, Ajax, Chelsea, Lille, which I believe uh, was the same draw as from the uh, aborted first draw, uh, Atletico Madrid versus Man United, Villarreal against Man City, Inter against Liverpool, PSG versus Real Madrid. Oh, good draw, Taylor. Anything stand out to you? How do you feel about Atletico Madrid playing Man United? Uh, as I said, I think they're going to be a problem for Man United. I think that will be a more interesting game with Rangnick in charge just because I think there will be more tactical preparation to deal with the tactical preparation that Atleto- Atletico will certainly bring to that one. I think Real PSG is fascinating, not just because of the Mbappe implication, because it's two huge clubs, but because of how furious Real Madrid seemed to be about this redraw. Initially, they were drawn against Benfica. That was the the kind of first pairing that came out with the initial draw. And they continue to maintain that it was not a computer computer error, it was a human error that put Man United in the wrong pot or whatever it was, and that that pairing should have stood, clearly showing that they do not want to be facing PSG in the first round. Uh, and I think that that one is going to be very fascinating for any number of different reasons. I think that's probably the most interesting one. I'm also pretty excited about Inter-Liverpool because Inter have been so much, so interesting I would say this season and fun and then Liverpool-Liverpool, very very good, very very fun. I think that game could be pretty fascinating too. Yeah, that's the one that stands out. I mean obviously Real Madrid PSG stands out for me but looking a little bit deeper, Inter-Liverpool is is a standout match for me because um, Inter really seem to be absorbing Inzaghi's idea. They they set a Serie A record for the most shots on target at the weekend against Cagliari, 15 shots on target. And it seems like Inzaghi wants his team to be more expansive, ha- press higher up the pitch, and to, to basically have more shots on goal. And against a Liverpool team that, as I mentioned earlier, have kept 10 clean sheets in 16 Premier League games, that could be a little bit of a test for, well, for both teams, I guess, a test of the attacking credentials of Inter and a test of the defensive strength of Liverpool. Joe, any thoughts on this draw? Is is, uh, is Benfica Ajax the hipster's choice here, perhaps? Oh, of course. Yeah, any any Ajax game, maybe Salzburg-Bayern, just to, to see if Salzburg can continue that run. But yeah, that, that Ajax-Benfica game is a good one in that line of thinking. One that catches my eye outside the ones that we've already mentioned is Chelsea-Lille. Uh, I know that one was drawn both times. We mentioned that already. But that gives us our chance of seeing the, the first time that two Americans would ever go against each other in a round of 16 game in the Champions League. Christian Pulisic and Chelsea, Timothy Weah and Lille. If that happens, history will be made, and I think it would be just a fun game on top of that to see if Chelsea can break through Lille's 4-4-2. Uh, you know, Chelsea have, have struggled, certainly, and Lille have struggled compared to where they were last season in the league uh, table. So that's one that I'll certainly have my eye on as well. And and then looking at another American player, sorry to jump ahead to another draw, but I'm looking forward to having Gio Reyna visit my neck of the woods in the Europa League with Dortmund uh, drawn against uh, Rangers. And interestingly enough, Gio Reyna is going to be up against the man that he is named after, which is a lovely piece of uh, narrative. Van Bronckhorst Reyna, is that his full name? <laughs> yeah, that's his full name, yeah. <laughs> Graham, how do you think Rangers fans are feeling about that? Is it like enthusiasm to get a big team and sort of see what happens? Or is it maybe wishing they'd gotten somebody more manageable? Um, well, the only team that they could have really got... Their draw was really difficult, the pot of teams that they could have drawn from. Sheriff was maybe the one that they were going for, but even Sheriff looked like a pretty good team this season. But within seconds of the draw happening, one of my one of my best pals as a Rangers fan, he, he messaged me to say, Haaland is going to murder us. <laughs> <laughs> Which was maybe... Uh, yeah, that sums up, I think, a hug. lot of the fears of Rangers fans. It's just how Haaland hugs. Graham, there, there is no better word in the Scottish accent to hear than murder. Can you say it one more time? <laughs> There's been a murder. Yeah, wonderful stuff. Uh, and there may well be when Borussia Dortmund come to town, as you say. The Europa League draw, by the way, Atalanta versus Olympiacos, RB Leipzig, Real Sociedad, Zenit, Real Betis. Uh, as we mentioned, Dortmund against Rangers, Sheriff Tiraspol against Braga, Porto v Lazio, Barcelona versus Napoli, Taylor Rockwell. Ooh la la, what do you think of that? 
I think that could be a, a Champions League knockout round game. I feel like both of those fan bases are probably not going to be thrilled to be facing each other, and I think they're both going to have difficulty. So that one, uh, pretty compelling as well. Uh, Sevilla, Dinamo Zagreb, maybe slightly less so, but Barcelona, Napoli, that would be the one uh, I will be watching in the Europa League. Maybe Dortmund Rangers. That seems pretty fun, and I want to see Holland uh, just kind of throw Rangers players around. That should be a good time. Indeed. Uh, these are the, the Champions League round of 16 games will be the last week of February and the second legs, uh, the first and second week of March. So we look forward to those going down. Wonderful stuff. I think that just about concludes our weekend review. Taylor Rockwell, anything else to say before we say goodbye to dear listener? Nah. Good. Joe, how about you? <laughs> no, that does it for me, Ryan. Graham Ruthburn, has there been another mother? No, but mutton and brown sauce is my recommendation for this week. Third third time I'll recommend it. It's it, it, honestly, it's it hits the spot. It, there's nothing better a football match. I'm not having it. There's an, another uh, football snack better than a pie on a on a cold day. And on that bombshell, listener, we say goodbye for another weekend review. Thank you very much. We'll be back soon. Bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.